to OT Uncorked, where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy with a bottle of wine. I'm the host, Miranda Donnelly. In today's episode, I chatted with Anna and Emily, team leads at Beyond COVID, a platform that promotes living well during and beyond the coronavirus pandemic. They use their experience and wealth of knowledge as occupational therapists and occupational scientists to provide curated resources that help people cope with the occupational disruption that we have all experienced in one way or another due to the pandemic. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to their blog, podcast, weekly well-being missions, and pathways to wellness. Let's get into the interview. Well, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you on this episode of OT Uncorked with a topic that is very relevant. I think we were hoping it wouldn't be relevant by this point, but it is. So I am really excited to hear what you guys have been working on the past many months and just the impact you've had. So let's start, if you would each just introduce yourselves. Hi everyone, I'm Anna and I'm an occupational therapist who works in Canada. I typically work in community-based practice, which means that I meet individuals in their homes or at coffee shops. In COVID, it's a bit more telehealth and local parks where we can physically distance and wear masks. Um, but I really get to work with people over the long term. A lot of the people I work with have chronic conditions um, or they need wheelchairs. It's kind of a whole mix of everything across mental health and physical health. Um, I went to Dalhousie University on the east coast of Canada, so I'm currently on the west coast on Vancouver Island, and I went over to the east coast for university, um, and that's when I really became interested in occupational justice, um, and then kind of came back to the west coast and get to work with people every day, and I love my job, so that's who I am. And it makes sense with the name of your podcast, which we'll get to. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Emily? Yeah, so I'm Emily. I'm an American-based occupational therapist. I'm currently located in California, but I'm actually a Midwestern girl. Um, so I went to school at St. Louis University, and my first job was a very interesting experience out of school. Um, I got to work at a residential treatment facility and really got to learn a lot about trauma and mental health and OT has always kind of been my passion and occupational science, which is what my bachelor's degree was in before my, our master's program. Um, and then I did travel for a year this last year, got to go all over the U.S., do various settings. Um, and then I followed my then fiance's job to California, and we got married this last year. And I'm working with a pediatric outpatient clinic through the county currently. So we're also doing a combination of in-person and full PPE and telehealth. So it's, it's always interesting. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's me right now. Great. And you've done a little bit of everything, it sounds like. Yeah. Were you also a COVID bride, as they're calling us? Yes. Yes. I just got married on August 8th. Oh, well, congratulations. I was July 25th, so... It was definitely a different experience, but it uh, I will say it kind of brought out the good in everybody. Mm -hmm. So many people went out of their way to try to make it extra special, knowing that it was not what we planned. And we just got to see so many wonderful friends and family, virtually mostly, um, but just come together and try to make something special. So there's silver lining. Yeah, definitely. congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so before we get into the episode, I'm really 
looking forward to what you have to share. And I typically drink a glass of wine with every show and I try to make it themed. So I'll wait to tell you the theme until the end of the show, but I will introduce what wine I'm drinking today. So I am having a Behringer uh, Maine and Vine Chardonnay. So I typically prefer red wines, and this is a white, obviously. So uh, I chose this today, and at the end, I'll tell you what it has to do with our topic. So people have to wait and wait to hear about that. But let's jump in. So you two are um, some of the original founders, is that right, of Beyond COVID? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about what Beyond COVID is and um, why you initially started this movement, we'll call it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, Beyond COVID is an online platform for knowledge sharing um, about OT, occupational therapy, and advocacy, and just to promote mental health and well-being um, in our communities and around the world. Um, I'd say mostly in the global north because that's where most of our team is based. Um, so that's where our strategies are most applicable. Um, but it came out of basically I was during COVID, had the news, and I was like, well, as OTs, we are like adaptation. That's our wheelhouse. That's like our toolkit. We know how to adapt to things and find ways to live well when life throws shit our way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> in other people's way. And so we always work with people and I'm like, well, we have this common barrier that's changed the way that we do things. It's disrupted our lives, disrupted the ways that we do things. So what are some things that we can do to navigate this barrier Um, of like physical distancing, being at home, the sudden change to not being able to see all our friends and hang out and go to the gym and um, all those things that are just like, generally a part of our typical day-to-day routines. Mm-hmm. So at first I'm like, oh, I'll make a Facebook post and tell my friends. <laughs> like, everyone know. I'm like, here, I'm an OT. These are some things that you might find helpful. This is ways we could adapt to this new living situation. Mm-hmm. And then my um, friends and roommates, so they own a gym. That's all about loving on people and lifting up the community around us. They it's Lolo stands for love on lift on and then they have a blog so I was like well maybe you know I can make this a blog and just like put a post out on their website and go there and they're like well what if I make my own blog and then I'm like what if I make a website with like social media and just kind of like go big and look at ways and sharing knowledge across different platforms um I had been fairly active on Twitter and Instagram before and I previously had roles in my undergraduate and um, as a rowing coach with social media coordination. So I was like, let's bring those skills in and try and build something. And then I was like, well, my dream's so big, I need people on the team <laughs> to make yeah. it actually happen. So I started posting on Twitter. Um, the Well Federation of OT had their ocean network. So let's put a little blurb in there. And people started joining. Um, Esther, she's our blog team lead. She was like the first person to respond on Twitter. She's like, I love this idea. And we kind of just go from there, have lots of different team ideas and kind of growing, expanding all the time. And over time, like we started with Twitter and the website, really basic. I did a crash course in web design, Mm. (laughs) a couple like very late nights, (laughs) trying to learn how to like design websites Mm -hmm. Um, using my, my roommate. She's also a wedding photographer and I do lots of graphic design. So I was like, well, if I can use a platform that lets me to creatively move things, it will allow me to put things where I want it to be. I can make it look how I want it to look. I can look up accessible fonts, have lots of control mm-hmm. over it. 
And then I kind of though wish I had gone with something more simple because when I want to make changes to the website, it's a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, I love how you took all these different skill sets and passions and interest and you sort of wound them together and then saw where you needed some support and brought in people with other strengths. I mm-hmm. just think that's so wonderful. And really, it's kind of how we adapt anyway, right? We yeah. Yeah. And like work really, together. Yeah. Um, like it's really important for me, I think, in my career, like I'm very early because I've been an OT for two and a bit years now. I think part of health and well-being, like we need to share knowledge. When people have knowledge, they have power and then they have more control over the health and well-being. So how can we give people knowledge? Love that. And so true. So true. Emily, how did you get connected with Beyond COVID? Yeah, so I was one of those people who responded to Anna's call out on the World Federation of Occupational Therapy on their site. So I had been kind of just sent home. Um, Our county kind of shut down and I was looking around on different sites to get some resources. I kept seeing resources. So I myself started a, um, my own little Excel sheet with different resources and I was sending them to friends who had kids that were now home and, you know, just doing these things. And then I saw Anna's post and I was like, well, this is great. I can, I can share the resources that I've been kind of putting away. Um, And so I messaged her and we did a just a little video call to see, you know, if I'd be interested in joining their team. And I was looking for some way that I could help while still being stuck at home. And so it was a great way to feel engaged, but not have Mm -hmm. to leave my living room since, you know, that's what we're all doing at that time. So I kind of started as just contributing with um, some resources. Mm -hmm. And then I became our people and wellness lead. So I would be the one who would kind of do those initial calls with people to say, this is what Beyond COVID is. What are your skills? What are you looking for? Is this something that you want to join us on? And, you know, in what capacity? And then kind of from there, different things that happened. And now um, I'm, I'm kind of being the other person when there's just so much, so many ideas mm-hmm. so that there's someone other than Anna that we can kind of direct some of these questions and big ideas too. That's that's great. Um, I and, and I noticed you mentioned the idea of putting out this call, getting a really good response, and trying to organize in such a way where you actually can mobilize knowledge as opposed to having just a lot of people with great intentions, right? Because there's definitely a different and a difference. Uh, and it seems like you guys have been able to do that. So can you talk to me a little bit about the diversity of your team? I notice people come from different backgrounds, different countries, different professions. And I think that's so cool how you all come together. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, something that's really important for me um, is to have diversity on the team. Well, I also during COVID, I, co- I was a teaching assistant for a course in program design and just Really, I really believe in citizen engagement for changing our health systems and how, the way we deliver healthcare and provide services um, so that we can really um, tailor the needs of our programs and the way that we run things so they serve people. Um, it's a philosophy of nothing about us without us um, that came out of the disability rights movements in the 90s. And I would say our team is not as diverse as I want it to be. But and part of that is because I don't like it's all self-funded basically. So, and I recognize that sometimes when people to promote diversity, you need to have compensation and actual compensation for people to sometimes for people to join the team. Yeah. And I just don't have the means to do that. I'm still paying off my student loans and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So, well, 
okay, let's come together. And people are in, still interested in volunteering. Um, I reached out to people that I had become friends with on Twitter. And some of my friends, like Gabby, she was a social media lead for a bit. She had some COVID burnout and stuff. So she mm-hmm. has to take a break from our team. Um, but she's one of my friends in Victoria. And she's like, Anna, I think it's really cool what you're doing. How can I help? Um, so a bunch of my just, like friends in Victoria reached out and helped. And that was really nice. We have, um, so yeah, we have diversity in terms of disability and ability. Um, and but I would say that the majority of us are predominant like we have some diversity in terms of race but I'd say majority of us are predominantly white upper middle class people and I would love to have a more diverse team so we can speak about more perspectives and share knowledge and build more bridges um but this is where we're at right now yeah and professionally I think is there a little bit of diversity or is it mostly occupational therapists and occupational scientists um I'd say it's mostly occupational therapists and scientists however we do have people who are who are not OTs. Like some people are like counselors or um, they run shops and mm-hmm. um, just general everyday, like we're all he- everyday human beings. Um, just, that's what connects us all. Absolutely. Uh, there's so much I want to ask you about the process and your ideas, but mm-hmm. before we get too much further, for people that are not familiar with Beyond COVID, if they were to go to your website, Can you describe what they would find and kind of what resources you are generating for the general public? So our website has kind of evolved uh, over the time when, since I started learning more web design skills and changed things up. There's a place where people can learn about us, our mission, our values, our team members. Then there's a do what you love section. And here you can find links to our podcast, the do what you love podcast, where we just started this summer and we're connecting with OTs and people around the world to discuss some occupational justice issues um, and just come things are coming up with COVID and ways that can, we can respond to them. Um, we have our blog, which right now for it's OT month in Canada. So we're doing a series about what do OTs do so people can better understand our profession and see all the different ways that we help and our common core of working on doing for well-being. Wonderful. We have weekly well-being missions, um, and we also have pathways to promote well-being. The pathways to promote well-being is kind of in the very early stages of development. is a little bit under construction right now, um, but the goal there is to share information about, say, our sleep one's mostly done. So we have like some sleep hygiene general tips um, with some ev- with evidence supporting those tips, as well as links to apps and tools that people could find helpful. Um, to promote sleep. So we're building different pathways there. Right. And that's what was originally our doing library. So we had all of those, we had all of those different resources, like I said, but we had so many different categories and so many of them overlapped that Anna had this great idea that we should have it so that it's a little bit easier for you to go through. So like Anna was saying, if you're looking at sleep, you might click on that and then you kind of have as it's named, a guided pathway to see what these different things are instead of kind of scrolling through a lot of different things. Because at this point of the COVID year, we're all tired of just scrolling and looking at so many different resources. 
Amen to that. And there's so many wonderful resources out there, but really I think the challenge is finding what's right for you. And so it sounds like these mm-hmm. pathways are a way for people to not be overwhelmed, but mm-hmm. really find what's going to help them and what can they can kind of take that next step towards their improved wellness. Yeah. As you go into the pathways, we kind of talk about an intro to talk about well-being and health and how they're related and how they're different. Um, and then we talk about people can pick what they want to learn about. So say they want, I want to learn about caring for myself. They can go there and learn about different self-care topics. Mm. Um, if they want to learn about caring for their communities, they can go for, um, for my family and community. And then there's going to be resources there. Still in progress. Um, if they want to about learning, um, so lots of the stuff is like for more people in school, but it can also be for everyone because we learn. One of our things I love about the profession is we're always learning. So oh, yeah. everybody can learn throughout our whole lives. Our brains mm-hmm. learn our whole lives anyways. Every moment we make new connections. Um, so we're going to have things there for like learning and things for building hope and then COVID specific education resources from like reputable sources yeah. um, that are science based. <laughs> very important now I'm curious because Emily I know before you joined the beyond COVID team you said you had developed this spreadsheet of resources to share and then you met Anna and realized Anna was doing had had a similar goal of just sharing and mobilizing knowledge so you joined together have you noticed a difference between some of the resources that were really helpful at the beginning of COVID compared to some of the resources that you think are potentially more popular right now or people seem to be craving or accessing more or is it all still kind of the same I would say there's a there's a little bit of a shift you know because at first there were a lot of things that were like we need a a kind of a short-term solution here let's kind of band-aid a couple of things that these activities might be good for you and your kids or let's you know try and do this activity inside and so even as the seasons Mm -hmm. have shifted as our time has gone on some of our activities have changed. Our focus has changed from let's um, keep ourselves occupied, let's say, to mm-hmm. are you checking in on your own mental health? Uh, what are we doing now that you may have lost your job? What are you know these bigger things that have kind of come in as our time has expanded, I think are mm-hmm. a little bit more popular right now as far as resources. Whereas at first, at least the ones that I was looking at had a lot to do with kids and just what can you do when you're home by yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah like at first when we started the week the weekly well-being missions they were daily doing missions we're like this is gonna be two weeks we'll give us like <laughs> activities that people can do were we so naive when we thought this was going to be two weeks <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> yeah. we were just protecting ourselves weren't we we're yeah. just protecting ourselves. Exactly. We're like, okay, we've got two weeks. Like an occupational therapy, mental health. We know that like we do lots of like activation and getting back to doing and finding ways. So I'm like, okay, well, here's something you can do. Like do something that like brings your heart joy. Like do something creative and just keeping them really general. Um, but then like we found that overwhelming to try and come up with missions like every single day. Yep. Um, and create the content and we're like oh my gosh we're still creating daily missions there's so many missions <laughs> so we switched to weekly well-being missions and kind of linking our site together more so that something we're kind of building into it now again as we grow and evolve and learn um, is having blog posts now to tie into our weekly well-being missions 
to have some again some like additional resources for how people could do that mission or mm. reach those goals yeah, i think anna brought up a good point there of the, the just the overwhelmingness of it that i think we did mention earlier as well um and even as you know myself and other people were kind of gathering resources that we would see everywhere I myself was like, I want to do this one and this one and this one. You know, there's classes that you can take. There's free stuff everywhere. And so I think now instead of going for the quantity of look at all the things there are, which is kind of where we were at the beginning. Now it's okay, let's hone this down. And this, this is the quality thing. The only thing that you might need to focus on today. Let's just try to do Mm -hmm. one thing because at some point or another over the past few months, we've all gotten burnt out or hit a wall or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I think you both bring up a really good point and it's something I've been hearing a lot. So at the beginning, like you said, there's all these amazing resources. People could virtually attend events and museums, all these great cultural experiences that either geographically or financially they couldn't access before. And it was really exciting. I you know I could attend a, a gym class that normally would cost like $30, but I could do it in my living room. Um, just all these really exciting things. But about this sort of why, you know, I think once we realized this wasn't, you, one of you lived on the East Coast before, so it wasn't like a big snowstorm. I'm, I'm an East Coaster, so I really resonated with that. I really felt like COVID started out as like, oh, it's just a snow day. And then it's just a snowstorm. We're in all week. And then no, this is this is bigger. Obviously not the impact of a snowstorm. I do want to acknowledge the the really challenging and traumatic um, fact that this is a pandemic, not just a snowstorm or an, um, but it is kind of a form of natural disaster in a way. And and we have kind of kept pushing and say, okay, well, it's not short term, it's not short term. And now we're sort of developing what some people are calling a new normal. What is your opinion of this new concept of this new normal? Is that something that resonates with you or is that something that creates some tension in your occupational science brain? I think like with the new normal, um, it's it's like, I think like it's also, it's talking about the term normal. Like what, normal? <laughs> like, what is that? What does that even mean? <laughs> sure. Actually, yeah. Um, I think like really quick because I heard someone looking say for this, ways. Like, I think it's definitely an opportunity for us to shift down. and look at ways that so we can embrace I, diversity I can, uh, and my part and then increase accessibility. Like one of the things with businesses <laughs> being closed and um, looking for things is like, how can we upgrade those buildings so they're accessible? I'm trying to see. How can we take the time? Like, how can we come together? I think it's I'll a really big time of adaptation. Often. And I think it's going to be different. And one of my tools in my toolkit, I have acceptance commitment therapy in my toolkit. So it's about moving forward in times of uncertainty mm. um, in the direction of your values. So we have like, yes, there's lots of uncertainty. There's also lots of opportunity for us to create something. Mm-hmm. that can be a place where we all belong. Yeah. And like we have our needs met and so maybe there's like improved funding for <laughs> medical equipment and stuff like that. Like sure. it's everywhere around the world. Um, but it's looking at ways that we can come together and really address the issues that are experienced in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Like some issues are like, well, accessibility, ableism, like discrimination, um racism um xenophobia like stigma of many forms but how can we really connect to our common humanity and come together and move forward together so instead of maybe in your mind from what i'm hearing it's less about a new normal and Mm -hmm. more about 
like you said, moving forward Mm -hmm. and just being better. Yeah. Just how can we come together and just build, I guess, more, like more justice in society. Mm -hmm. Look at ourselves look at our own professions. Um, There's a shortage of disabled OTs in the health professions. And in terms of like cultural safety, recently I attended a brief presentation by Laura Bulk, who's a researcher at UBC, Mm -hmm. about cultural safety and disability cultural safety Hmm. um, as it relates to um, services that we provide so people don't experience trauma in the healthcare system. Hmm. Like If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so my background before OT was psychology, so that's kind of my framework. I have that lens as well. Um, Basic needs are safety and belonging. If people don't experience that in a healthcare system, how is that a place to play? Absolutely. And that's such a big problem. Yeah. There's so many people that don't even seek healthcare because they don't feel safe or they can't yeah. navigate the system because the system maybe wasn't designed for them. Yeah. It's such an issue. And that's not fair or just. No. And yeah, like I think. One of my favorite quotes, and it's, I don't know who says it, it's like one of those like famous like sayings. So someone famous said it a long time ago, but it's like, <laughs> be the change you want to see in the world. So mm-hmm. even like when I first started on COVID, my goal is like, if I help one person to live well during COVID, just this website, I'm going to be happy. It's like one person benefits and that's great. Um, so like we can all make changes and we can all make, like, it's all of us making little changes that can improve the world. Mm. improve the safety and just like create communities yes and I think we've seen that in a lot of really wonderful ways despite mm-hmm. some of the larger socio-political economic things that feel way too big for us mm-hmm. I think as individuals I do see so much on the individual and community level of people coming yeah. together and really showing the best of themselves and rising to the occasion to help each other and I think that has been really beautiful yeah. in a world where sometimes I think we thought some of that was lost. Mm-hmm. And I know that we're in different locations, all three mm-hmm. of, well, two of us are in California, but um, potentially different areas and just different cultures and different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I think, um, at least I can speak for myself, sometimes it feels like those those um, human touch points were a little bit lost with people that weren't in our immediate circle and they're, they're coming back, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Facebook group um, on the island. It's it's now global, I think. It's called Get Down with Lockdown. <laughs> and people just like are sharing Love their heart. They're like reaching out to each other. And I'm like, this is so beautiful. Um, and there's like a wine ninjas or something Facebook group where people are just like, people put a wish list up on the Facebook group. And then people are coming and like, okay, I'm going to ninja drop off all these like things for you. Oh, wow. And she's like, total stranger. Yeah. I think we've seen a lot of the goodness. And of course, there, there's been the, the traumatic side yes. of things and just the extreme sadness and the depression and all of this. But I think at the same time, it does feel like there's there's a bit of a chance for something new, like a new chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like Anna said, what, what really is normal? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I understand the, the phrase and the fact of we're kind of establishing a new routine. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the the thought of instead of it being a new normal, that we're t- turning the page and it's a new chapter. And this new chapter, hopefully, is going to be better than the last chapter. I know in my area, too, like you're saying with the Facebook groups, we I saw one that was, um, so I, I'm currently in Bakersfield. It was the Bakersfield Health page. And so we had people who 
they said that I can't go out. I'm a single parent. I have kids. And someone else would say, what do you guys need? I'm going to drop it off for you. And we had, you know, local people who would go to the stores early in the morning and get all of those essentials and just drop them off to whoever needed them. Didn't ask for anything else in return, you know, so that there are those, those areas of goodness coming out. Um, And I had stumbled across actually through a different podcast this week, a quote that I'd seen going around that I wanted to share. Uh, So this is from Sonia Renee Taylor. She said that we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Mm. And I, I just felt like that really summed up all those things that we were trying yeah. to say. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, I love that people are finding hope and seeing that when our routines and our habits and just our daily life that we got so comfortable in, when all of that is torn out and disrupted, like we have an opportunity, we have room and space and and just time to rebuild. And I don't think that that needs to feel overwhelming or like we need to have it now. I think we have this really odd transition time that we can really lean into, even though it is full, like you said, of trauma and there's going to be healing that needs to happen first, mm-hmm. potentially. But I think we do have opportunities here to yeah. really be reflective and consider what's next because we have a little bit of time to think about what's next. Yeah. We have time to like think, we have times to connect and we have time to discuss and just, yeah, I really like that. <laughs> it was one of those things that I'm sure you experienced as well being a, a COVID bride, as you said, <laughs> that some of these things that happened um, where usually, at least in a lot of American tradition, your wedding is probably a very large party and there's all of these things that go into it and you've got to make things Pinterest perfect, got pared down to if it was that you d- you decided that you were going to keep your original date or whatever it may be, it was pared down to, okay, I'm just doing this because I want to marry the person yes. that I love. And these are the absolute essential things. And my husband and I had decided, we're like, if we get married and with a very small group, which is what we did, and two weeks from that, there's no one that gets sick, then that was a success. Yes. And and that's such a strange thing that a year ago, I never would have thought of. But there was a lot of hard things that go into all of these life transitions that people have had to figure out. Graduations new babies, Mm -hmm. getting married, um, so many different transitions, both the happy and the sad ones that really got pared down whether we wanted them to or not. Absolutely. I I love what you said about that. It really resonates with me, that idea. (laughs) At the two-week mark, I contacted pretty much everybody who was there, which again, it was a very small group. It was in my in-law's backyard, spaced out chairs by households. Each family had their own little tent to hang out under. I mean, it was not at all what we planned, but at the two week yeah. mark, I kind of contacted everybody and said, you're still feeling okay. You're still feeling okay. And nobody was sick. And I thought yeah. that is not the phone call I would have been making if it hadn't been COVID season. And I probably would not have gotten married just 
at, we didn't plan much in, um, for our backup plan because we, we kept calling it plan I. We had gone through so many iterations of our plan, but my sister-in-law pointed out it was plan I do. And we were like, it is plan I do. That's the whole point of this is that we're getting married. Oh. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was lovely in its own way. And all of these milestones, these things that help us keep track of time and give us these sort of moments of pause and celebration to reflect weddings, funerals, holidays, they all carry this rich societal meaning and this ritual in our lives. They give us a chance to pause, do something different, reflect on life, reflect on death, reflect on um, if it's a if it's a holiday that's based around a religion, we have that moment to reflect on faith. If it's a patriot like patriotic holiday, we have a chance to reflect on what that means to us. And when these rituals and routines change, uh, we don't have those moments. And then we wonder why are we so why are we feeling off or why do we feel different or sad or why are we feeling these symptoms of anxiety? Well, those those things that keep us organized temporarily are gone in a way. Yeah, it's it's different, and I. Like this weekend here, it's Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. So we're having like a Friendsgiving and like my friend, my roommate's sister's coming over and we're just having like us and it's going to be a small get together. Um, Wonderful. Like trying to have like a little bit and like live, I think, trying to find the ways that we can celebrate and those times can that we can celebrate is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, and looking for like Zoom parties or like just look in Zoom. Like I definitely have gone Zoom fatigue over this whole pandemic. Yes. Like, like, oh my gosh. But I think, yeah, uh-huh. finding ways to connect. And for the holidays, um, our theme for December is actually going to be looking at lots of the different holidays that are celebrated during December and really celebrating the diversity of the holidays. Mm. Um, something I've seen a lot in places that are about, like, equity and diversity is they kind of actually like, well, let's not celebrate anything because we don't want to, like, prioritize one group. But it's like, well, what if we celebrate everything? Yeah. Why <laughs> Just, not? Yeah. Just, like, put out knowledge and... Um, a lot of the knowledge about the holidays I don't celebrate is going to be coming from research, but if sure. people on the team or send me stuff, like we're happy to have that. I would love Wonderful. that. More than. We can also put your email into yeah. the show notes. And if people do celebrate a holiday, they are worried might not be represented. Could they send you totally some resources? Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So we've talked a bit about this and I have to admit the reason why I was so excited to hear your perspectives of the new normal is that I also would identify as an occupational scientist and I've been having a lot of really rich conversation with folks lately in our discipline about what can occupational scientists do. I heard some discussion on your podcast as well about this. Really, I can hear the occupational science coming in strong and that really excited me. Mm-hmm. And I actually first heard about Beyond COVID at a meeting of occupational scientists where we were talking about what can occupational science do to support mm-hmm. people who are struggling and experiencing injustice in this time. And then also what can we learn from this time as a scientific discipline? And Beyond COVID came up in that discussion. So I immediately, while in the Zoom meeting, of course, you can open up a separate browser. And I was quickly looking you guys up. And then I think I emailed you a week later or something. And I was really excited to see just this strong occupational science and occupational therapy um, Mm -hmm. coming through. I hear a lot of Ann Wilcox language when you guys speak. Is that um, an approach and a model that you guys have really found helpful in this? Or is that kind of just the, the vocab is just so ingrained in our discussion of occupation? Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I recently read Karen Wally Hamill's new textbook. It's Critical Perspectives, Engaging in Living, Critical Perspectives on Occupation, 
um, rights and well-being. Yes. I read some chapters. <laughs> so I'd say that's where like my perspective kind of comes right. from. Um, for me, before I was an OT, like I've known that I wanted to work with people so that mm-hmm. they can do what matters and belong and build community. Um, since grade 10, when I read a book by disability rights activist, Harry Fried Johnson, um, and it was called Accidents of Nature. It was a fictional narrative, but like related to some of her lived experiences um, going to summer camp. And I was a summer camp leader at the time. I was like, so I was like, oh my gosh, inclusivity, like we need to build things. People need to be able to do things authentically and like, have autonomy. Like how can we like promote like real belonging and stuff? Mm-hmm. That kind of launched my passion. Um, <sighs> I didn't discover OT though for like eight years after that. <laughs> well, not quite eight. <laughs> years after that um yeah, I was like uh my fourth year of university I was like oh okay this is OT like I was volunteering and people were like Anna you know what you want to do is OT I'm like oh I don't want to just work with people on work I want to work with people on everything mm-hmm. and then, so I went to see OT I'm like oh that's my dream job okay yes. <laughs> um, but I also think like if you look at lots of the um disability narratives like there are parallels between occupational science and the disability rights narratives so uh, Alice Wong recently published um, and edited a book called based on her disability visibility uh, website and it's called disability visibility it's a collection of anthologies and it was actually really interesting for me to read because, um, just to kind of see this connection because she divided the books into the themes of doing being becoming and connecting no way <laughs> like, oh my gosh so, that almost validates it more because it came up so naturally for somebody else who is not necessarily yeah. in that discipline. So you, it kind of validates that this is an approach that makes sense to humans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, awesome. well, maybe like this is just a sign. Like, we need to have these more conversations because then I think mm-hmm. we can really even more like disabled people are the largest population that we intend to serve. And again, with that nothing about us without us principle, I think there's a real opportunity for occupational therapy when our theories and stuff do align quite well. And there is a lot of overlap. If we can have those conversations more and shape practice, shape our theories, bring in disabled OTs, bring in disabled people that aren't necessarily OTs and mm-hmm. look at where we can go from there and what occupation means for well-being. Wonderful. And Emily, you mentioned that you have a background in occupational science as your undergrad, which is really cool. I actually didn't know there were undergrad programs in occupational science. I'm doing it on the back end as a PhD. Um, So... What, how has that background, and I know it's hard to isolate since you also have the OT experience on top of that, but how has your occupational science lens contributed to your work with Beyond COVID as well? You know, I think that for me, the occupational science lens is my passion. And that's where when Anna and I connected and we started just, as you can now imagine, having those conversations, we just got so excited. And I was like, yes, this is exactly the kind of things that I want to do. It's that justice-based lens of looking at, there's so many of these Mm -hmm. factors and we need to understand these in order to understand what's happening to people and why that, you know, we might be affected the way that we are. Um, So for me, um, I went to St. Louis University, as I said, and it was a five-year program to get your bachelor's and your master's. And so our, our bachelor's was essentially in occupational science. And I remember when we had those particular classes, those were the things that got me through Mm -hmm. OT school. Because to be honest, the more 
ortho aspects of it or the you know kinesiology kind of stuff when we're doing range of motions and very essential things I knew that that was not my niche when I was reading Anne Wilcox doing being and becoming like that's one of those articles for me that doesn't matter how many times I read it I'm like this is why I want to be an OT this is where I want to go with this I love that um and to be honest I've looked into PhD programs and yeah (laughs) tiptoeing around that for a while we'll chat don't worry (laughs) yeah we'll we'll talk about that later but um I think I this just sorry (laughs) yeah for me that lens and that being the aspect of my education, which going into it, I had no idea that we were one of the few schools in the country that does have that basis. But once I kind of got into it, I was very proud of that fact that we are based in that and that is the science behind our profession. And so I bring that to, I think, everything that I do and the way that I approach Yes. occupational therapy as a whole and yeah, how and I seeing that, how that human is the occupational being which was something that Dr. Yerksa mm-hmm. I think was the first one to really write about that is the paper that I always go back to and think this is where my passion mm-hmm. yeah. is I can't I can read it however many times and every time it just excites me to think this way mm-hmm. so that that resonates a lot yeah, like I think it's like really important, like as we connect with the core of our profession, like the occupational science, like that's what drives us. That's what drives our profession forward. Um, and it's where we can really grow, like really, like we're not just doing movements so a person can learn how to move their arm again, like we're doing things people can engage, like how can we make it more meaningful and connecting, bring the occupational science focus into our practice context. Like I feel very lucky that I'm in a community-based role. Because it's yeah. really easy for me to bring in occupational science. And I use models as worksheets with clients. I'm like, okay, let's here's the Kawa model. Let's like look where you are. <laughs> or like we'll look at the PEO model. And I'm like, here's the person. These are the factors. Here's the environment. Here's occupation. Um, so for this goal, what, what do you think are the factors? Which ones can we change? Which ones might we need to work around? And I get to bring, yeah, so I make worksheets based on models and try and bring occupational science into practice all the time. It's really fun. That's really wonderful. And I think you're bringing up so many, well, so many good points. But one, I love to know how our theory is informing people's practice. I noticed something in OT school that when I was learning these theories and philosophies, and then we often had assignments where we had to talk to people who were in practice about what they used. And so often they said, well, I don't really use any of those theories or models. And I was so confused why it was such a focus in school and why people claimed they weren't really using them. And then I think I learned that really we learn the theories and we ingrain them so much that we don't need to explicitly say this is what we're using all the time. It Mm -hmm. informs our practice and we develop our strategies around those. But I love that you're including the patient in sort of, or the client in which which models and theories most apply to them and they can sort of tell you what they need, but you're Mm -hmm. offering that way of sort of facilitating a conversation where they really have kind of ownership over the care they're, they're engaging with. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like patient, like client partnerships, like people partnerships are just so important for me. Um, It's to share that knowledge so they can really get that perspective and like share Mm -hmm. my lens. Okay. Well, how can we look at this? I wonder what it would look like in this way. And yeah, like I have, the thing is we have all these different conceptual frameworks and um, in Canada, OTs can do psychotherapy. It's regulated differently in different provinces, but in psychotherapy, you have all these conceptual frameworks that you need to kind of ground your assessment in and 
recorded stuff on. And just like that in OT, um, Gord Hirano, he was just doing the CBT course I did last weekend. Um, he was saying like, we have our OT models and our OT models can be those conceptual frameworks. We can use those to document our practice process and how we're doing things. Like we, we're therapists is part of our name. <laughs> like we're occupational therapists and we have, we can use these contact, like just these models as frameworks for practice. And mm-hmm. yeah. and I love that you guys seem to be taking these theories and models and really applying them to this, the broader world and saying, we all have this common, the experience is, is different for everybody, yeah. but we have this common, I think you called it a common barrier at the beginning mm-hmm. that's getting the way. And it's going to look different for everybody and it's going to be bigger for some people and maybe smaller for others. And maybe there's a paved path around it for some and a mountain around it for the others. But um we have this common barrier and then we can look at it through this theoretical lens and through these frameworks that help us understand human doing mm-hmm. and Our belonging. Need. And it's important. Yeah. yeah. And Karen Wally Hamill's work, she's like, she talks a lot about, and like the do live well framework at McMaster. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk a lot about how we use our occupations to access the experiences we need for well-being. Yes. I think so really connecting with that and knowing as humans, we are all different. We all need different experiences. Um, one of the tools I made is like this occupational well-being and me sheet. So it's like all the different like doing alone versus doing with others, mm-hmm. um, doing for myself, doing for others. Like and we're, we're all humans. So we're going to be on different places on those spectrums. But it's kind of recognizing what experiences we need for our well-being. And then looking at, okay, where are we now and how can we get there? And then pull in our other models and look at what's going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Just like to navigate it and what needs to be worked around or where skills can be built. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'm thinking each, it's with each person. And we really only get the information from partnerships. Like yeah. in my work, I work with lots of people with chronic conditions, with chronic pain or persistent concussion symptoms. We don't really have any valid measures that can assess that. A lot of our measures, there's a few that are have bi-directional questioning. Um, again, my undergrad was in psychology and I did like mm-hmm. psychometric courses so like I really also look at a lot of our assessment tools from a psychometric lens and a lot of our tools are like symptom questionnaires they're all unidirectional Mm -hmm. (laughs) also like how severe is your problem what's your biggest issue like and like like, what's your biggest issue but it's like also like what are you doing well and framing things in different directions can get a more accurate answer but also Mm. you don't tell the whole pictures and clients will tell me and this question doesn't resonate with me at all. Or like, what is this question asking? I don't understand. And honestly, the most valuable information I get for when I do, when we like co-design interventions and I'm like, which option should I offer you? So like figure out your therapy plan for getting yeah. back to doing. Um, it's what they tell me about their adult experience. I'm like, this is where I get the most valuable information. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I just recently started doing this, but when I would be giving an assessment or doing, yeah, including an assessment and an evaluation, I started asking, okay, what does this assessment miss? What yeah. would you add to it? You know, for example, I think I, I did a sleep assessment and I asked a ton of questions and I said, what, what is this assessment missing? I would love to be able to ask people better questions. And of course I know what other, you know, many other questions I could ask, but I want to know what, what are the questions that this person while going through the assessment was anticipating me asking? And then when I said, we're done with the assessment, what did they think, oh man, I was really hoping she'd ask about whatever. I love that. <laughs> and it was fun because it engages them with it. And I say, you know, this assessment doesn't tell me everything. What is it missing? And I was really excited that it worked because <laughs> I was, yeah. you know, I was just kind of testing that question out and people gave me new information that was not 
on the assessment and some of it's not you know what I would have asked anyway so I'm so glad I opened up the floor to say what would you change about this assessment to so I can learn more about you yeah I think again like it really builds up foundation that we are just two humans where one of us has an OT toolkit one of us has our like lives we know what works what doesn't Mm -hmm. work and we're just coming together and we're here to support and like I think it really is important for building trust in our systems (laughs) just yes it's huge like our therapy space I really love that question can like feel it <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I honestly just thought of it, and I, oh gosh, a couple months ago, and I'm like, oh, I really like this. I'm going to keep using it. So, <laughs> I'm sure that people have done it for longer. Probably. <laughs> but, you know, we all we all learn on it at our own pace, though. Exactly, and we can all make these little changes to make the experience better. Exactly. So, I do want to shift a little bit to talk about some of the challenges because I love that we kind of started with. Mm-hmm. What resources are are available? What are some of the silver linings and ways that we can use this to grow? But I also want to acknowledge that the coronavirus, no matter kind of where you live in the world, no matter what your life circumstances are, anything about you, you know, we all are having some impact of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. We're all experiencing something. And I think there is a lot of this trauma. And I don't ever want to just talk about silver linings without acknowledging the fact that there's a reason why we have silver linings. And it's because there's a lot of stuff that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And there's a reason why we're seeking these moments of hope. Yeah. And why we're coming together. And it's because there's been this trauma. And I'm interested because I think both of you mentioned some element of of history of working mm-hmm. with folks who have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how that lens has influenced your view of COVID. And if you could just talk a little bit more about some of that trauma and how people might be experiencing it differently. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's so many different kinds of trauma going on right now. There's, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways, I guess, that people are impacted, like you're saying. I know that um, like I myself have family and friends who have lost their jobs, mm-hmm. who have lost, I, we have all lost occupations that are meaningful to us, which we know as occupational scientists is, you know, can be a form of trauma. And I think the thing about, the thing about talking about trauma is it's trauma when it's something that you can't really get over very well because that's that's where resilience comes in, right? Because the same thing can happen to two different people and one person can kind of go on and be okay. And the next person with no fault of their own has a really tough time dealing with that and figuring out how to move forward with their life. And I think this whole circumstance has made it difficult for anyone to move forward with their life. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of ways that we can go out and have those supports that we usually do. And I think that's been one of the, the biggest things that I see is that it's, it's not just within the person themselves, but it's, it's all of those external things that we go to as coping strategies or the, uh, the different organizations that usually are able to reach out and help people, a lot of which shut down during this time because we were, we were all shut down in some capacity or another. And there's a lot of those that have started to come back online. Um, and, you know, the, the different layers of whether it's somebody is now food insecure and doesn't have a job. And then they also might have had a family member who got sick and they weren't able to attend a funeral. You know, the different layers of that. Um, but then to kind of bring it back to personally, I know for me, I got very stressed about, you know, job and wedding and trying to, you know, engage. 
Um, I had just moved here to Bakersfield in January. And so we were just starting to explore the area, trying to get a community when everything shut down. And so not having a lot of family, friends, anyone really around was difficult and not having those avenues. I love to go dancing. I love to oh, swing dance. So can't, no. can't go to that one. Yeah. Can't, I just planned to come to LA, find some swing dancing, and then things shut down. And so that kind of got put on the back burner. Okay. So for a while, we got to go outside and then we were hit by wildfires recently. And by recently, the last like two months, um, Bakersfield was in the valley. And so we couldn't really go outside. couldn't go for a walk. Gyms are closed, but I can't go outside and run like I usually do because the air is bad, you know? And so there, there's all of these different things that wherever we are, it's those layers of complexity and also the external factors that are coming in from all sides, it seems at times, that are just make it so that you might hit that wall for a while. Mm-hmm. And those are where we really need those, those moments of hope. It's interesting too, what you mentioned about these layers. So one would be, obviously COVID. And I think that's the one that we kind of started the conversation on, but then you brought in this idea of having um, the fires. I know there's hurricanes happening in other areas of the U S there's massive storms happening in other places. There's war happening in other, thankfully not on my home turf. Very grateful for that, but there are pretty scary things happening all over the world. And on top of this trauma of having a pandemic that affects like you've we've talked about extensively every area of our life. And then on top of that, we had this sort of re-emergence, I say not, I would call, I guess I would call it a re-emergence of our awareness of some of the major systematic racism that has always been there. And then it just sort of at times we're just reminded of how bad things still are. And that really uh, mm-hmm. coincided with COVID as well of just this reminder of we have so much further to come and there's still so much oppression um, yeah. and racism. And so it's these layers of, yes. then we're in a, an election year in the U.S. And so there's that layer. And I'm sure yeah. the whole world's just standing by watching that one happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, we watched something uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what was that, Anna? Like really watch oh, American goodness. politics. Like, yeah. More than our own a bit. <laughs> it might be a form of entertainment for others. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's not a like a real, very scary. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> And so there's all these different layers because nothing happens in a vacuum. And I think a lot of our occupational theories mm-hmm. and approaches see that and we talk about it and we have a language for it in many ways. And so something that's been helpful for me lately is thinking about this transactional nature of mm-hmm. of all of these contexts. And we can't actually talk about any of these things in a vacuum. It's really about how they're Im- impacting each other and, yeah. and bidirectionally how one influences the other and how politics and economics are affected by COVID and how they affect COVID and how people are engaging. And there's just these really complex webs of transaction. I love yeah. talking to occupational scientists. This is so fun for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like all the intersections. I think like for us, like we're all white women. So like the way we're experiencing what's happening with Black Lives Matter is very different than how Black people have been experiencing it for ongoing. Like for us, this has come up. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so traumatic. This is happening. But this is something that Black people feel like my Black friends, like they've been dealing with forever. So 
it's it's like it's like oh my gosh <laughs> okay <laughs> goodness um and I should go back and clarify that when I said our the sort of a re reemergence of our awareness I very much meant our as in like mine and yeah. I think a lot of other people who have similar identities as me so it, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because I want to be clear it's not a reemergence of awareness for the folks who are on the receiving side of the oppression so thank you for bringing that up so I could clarify totally yeah um yeah I think like it's again like I think we really need to like learn and come together and follow the lead of the black people in these initiatives when we're responding to that trauma. But I guess, and like, again, this intersectionality. So it's like disability within, with racism, disabledism, ableism, um, classism, and mm-hmm. all these factors that in capitalism and everything that kind of like interacts and intersects. Um, I didn't want to like add a point about the trauma. I'm not sure. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Let no. Yeah. I love it. Keep. Yeah. This is, I mean, I think it's all related to trauma. Yeah. I mean, it's all of these pieces that come together just to show that this isn't easy. There's no, no easy fix. It's complicated. And I think this is just adding to that conversation about yeah. the complexity of trauma. So take it away. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> I, I've been looking out and finding there's been lots of discussions like this, the TAD thing that's, like with Aota, but that different people are leading, like Black people are really leading the discussion mm-hmm. there. Um, this week, I recently participated in a discussion that was based in Canada about anti, like Indigenous racism and like being anti-racist and anti-Indigenous racism and healthcare and how like what's happening now and how we need to mm-hmm. shift it. Um, but getting back to the trauma, I think that when we have trauma, like I work with people who experience PTSD quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with lots of people, whether it's a single vehicle incident, and so it's a single incident of trauma, or it's something that's been chronically building up over time. And COVID's one of those ones that's been chronically building up over time. And when there's trauma, some people experience some PTSD, or maybe not full on PTSD, but PTSD-like symptoms, and have those feelings and experiences. And we all deserve like the time to process it in our own way, and it's time to heal and have that self-care and space for ourselves. For some of us that might be going for a walk or painting mm-hmm. or reading or reflecting um, or just having a shower or singing or dancing around our kitchen. Um, like we need to have time to take care of ourselves so we can process and really give and move forward. That's wonderful. I think it's too important. You talk about it building up over time. Mm-hmm. And with that, I don't think it's going to go away quickly. Right. No. And even when things quote, No, we're not saying get back to normal. We already had that conversation. We're not going to call that. As we move forward and things change and some of the acute realities of COVID and a lot of the restrictions are lifted, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to change quickly. No. And I think there's going to be a lot of healing that's going to come from that. Actually, I wanted to share, I was, this is just coinciding with so many of my um, occupational science rabbit holes recently. So the timing of this interview is, is just so exciting for me. (laughs) But I was reading, I think just yesterday about this Japanese concept. I'm going to not pronounce this well, and I'm going to preface it with this. It's, I believe called Hikikomori. And it's this idea of, so it has to do with social withdrawal Mm -hmm. and it's like pulling inward and being confined. And so they use that to describe uh, folks who just kind of withdraw from society to a point where it's really, it's not just about introversion, it's about staying withdrawn. And so they use this term. And I read an article about how there's a belief that maybe we're all going to experience this or many will experience it to different degrees after coronavirus because so many of us are withdrawn by Mm -hmm. necessity. Mm -hmm. 
but what we we've talked about how humans adapt and we do adapt quite well i think mm-hmm. in most cases we are yeah. quite resilient i think um despite the fact that we're coping with all of these complex traumas and this idea that after we maybe are allowed to not be isolated and we are allowed to do things um that trauma, I think, and these experiences and the habits we've maybe established in this time might stick to some extent. And so it, this person was just hypothesizing that they think we we might have trouble reintegrating into the world maybe as we would have before COVID and that this idea of hikikomori is going to be something that we're going to kind of feel as a as potentially a collective experience. So I thought that was really interesting in a way we can see a term that's in another culture um, that maybe we can it seems like they were in this article really trying to share it with us to put a word to it. So I don't feel that it's really appropriation. I feel like they were like, here, here's a word. We already know what this is called. Um, and so I think this could be something that we experience later. But I'd be curious to hear your your thoughts on on what you think's next. I mean, as we move forward, what, what how do you think this is going to influence us? Totally speculative. but Yeah, no, I think people, like, all of our experiences are going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm Vancouver Island, so I'll say like my experience I'm on a little island and we have relatively not had that many COVID cases I'm in a very I say I don't want to say privileged but like I'm in a very lucky position in that way based on my geographical location Mm. um so we've had things open up downtown for now though this talk like our numbers have been going up so there's talk about things closing down again um but as things opened up I remember when I first went out I was actually walking with a client in downtown Victoria like I'm wearing masks with distancing and I started panicking. <laughs> it was just mm. like, I was like, okay, so I'm supporting this client with their own mental health stuff right now. And I'm just like seeing things like just being downtown, seeing people, like people were, some people were really close and I just got really anxious about that. Mm. And I think like, even now, like I see people in Facebook posts and stuff. I'm like, you guys are so close. Like we're still in a pandemic. There's still a spread of disease. And for me, that's something that brings up a lot of feelings of anxiety. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel anxious now, but um, <laughs> Just, I think there will be people who feel anxious about it. And I think we can practice that self-compassion and know that we can connect to our common humanity, kind of Kristen Neff's like compassion, mindfulness and self-compassion stuff and the more psych realm. Um, we can practice like connect and like, we're not alone in those experiences. Some people are gonna have those feelings of anxiety mm-hmm. and we will get through it. Like there's a way that we can adapt and we can move forward and we'll, our brains will learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I started learning as my honors when I was in psychology. So for three years, I was researching learning and how the brain learns and stuff. And yes, we've learned, we've adapted, we've learned this new situation. And we can also learn that things are safe again. It will take time. It will take exposure. It will take practice and experience. But I think when things become safe again, we can learn that they're safe again. Yeah, I love that, that we can learn that things are safe again. And I think that's, that's what we're hopeful of. I've, I've had many, many similar conversations with coworkers and friends about, you know, starting to go out into areas and then realizing that people are so close and you kind of back up. And I've had this happen even, you know, going to dine at an outdoor patio on a restaurant. You know, usually I love the kind of organic conversations that might occur with strangers. Mm-hmm. This happened last night to me as I was going to dinner for... Um, a coworker who was now going to be leaving as a traveler. Um, and there was an older gentleman that came up to us and wanted to have a conversation. And we were actually talking about OT and explaining what it was. And he didn't have a mask on. And I just kind of kept backing up slowly 
been like not comfortable with that situation mm-hmm. had you know the thought too of a friend brought up going to a concert or a um some kind of a festival mm-hmm. even seeing a picture of thousands of people together we're like how did we ever do that mm-hmm. how did that ever feel like a safe environment because right now that that's almost unfathomable for a lot of us mm-hmm. you know but i think to your point miranda of having a word for something it brings a kind of comfort, at least to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, it brings to mind Brené Brown's work to me. I've, I've done a lot, read a lot of her books and having a word to name, you know, what is happening can make a huge difference to be able to know that it is an experience that is happening to others. It's, it's not mm-hmm. a thing that only you're experiencing, but it's, it's a phenomenon that others also can understand. And so I think moving forward and the hope for the future is that we'll be able to get to that place where it feels safe to be out and to experience life, you know, a little bit differently, but more as we knew it before again. And I think that there is going to continue to be a sense of anxiety Mm -hmm. and for some, a, a fear of knowing that even when maybe restrictions lift in your area or you know, we're able to travel again without, you know, constantly having hand sanitizer on every time you touch something, there's still going to be that back of the mind wondering, is it going to flare up again? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, some event happening? And then from that, there's going to be super spreader event. And I think that's something that we're going to need to acknowledge and to be able to have, you know, a, a couple of coping strategies in place for, because that is going to be the reality, at least for the near future. Hmm. And I think it's important to be having these conversations because, for example, Anna, when you talked about being out in public and noticing people were too close and you actually starting to have some of that anxiety rise up while you're also trying to support your your client and realizing, just acknowledging your own humanity in that and saying you're not just a therapist, you're a person who's also going through all of this as well. And being able to share in that one, I think that really helps us even moving forward, identify more with our clients and say, yeah, right now this is happening to you, but I am not immune from whatever's happening to you. It can happen to me. I'm a human. I just happen to right now have some tools that I can support you in it. And when this happens to me, I'll find someone, if this happens to me, I'll find someone with tools that can help me too. Um, but, but I appreciate that you acknowledge that when you were talking about that experience. Then Emily, you talked about looking at photos or even video of, of large crowds. And you talked about just talking with a stranger out at a restaurant and how that produced some kind of uncomfortability and potentially some anxiety. Both of those really resonated with me. I can't remember what movie I was watching, but there was, it like panned over a concert venue and I just started cringing and I thought, one, I don't think I'll ever see that again. Mm-hmm. To that extent, I'm sure we'll still do large gatherings, but mm-hmm. I don't think we'll see a packed stadium with thousands and thousands of people anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I got a little bit nervous just watching it, even though I knew it was filmed way before COVID and um, and walking down the street, you know, when people have the mask down where it's not covering their nose, mm-hmm. I get nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it's just really interesting yeah. to hear you guys talk about that and then me say, yes, I, that resonates. And I think having these conversations where we hear that other folks are struggling with some of the things that we are kind of brings a sense of, of universality to it. Even when, you know, we all do have different experiences, these points, you mentioned these sort of phenomena, um, Mm -hmm. Emily, that we all kind of are experiencing. I think the more we talk about it, the more we acknowledge it, we can kind of feel like it's okay that I'm feeling this way and I actually don't need to get over it right now. It's okay. It's probably my, my body and mind protecting me, my brain protecting me from harm 
that I that this this should give me right. some anxiety and we can cope with it and mm-hmm. we can also be okay with the fact that yeah you know what other people are having this too yeah I think that's like really great um yeah like, that's something I really try to bring with also like to the therapy piece in general so not just like in that incident of being like oh I'm really feeling just now um like I told kind of like I'd gone to counseling before mm-hmm. for some like personal stuff and I told clients I'm like yeah like I talked to my counselor about this and yeah like if it's relevant to the client I'm like disclosure I think is always something that um if it's relevant and appropriate then like it's therapeutic as itself mm-hmm. and it's connecting like again that common humanity between us that we're wishy humans in the therapy space yes um but sometimes it's not. So sometimes I won't. I'm like, this is <laughs> if it's appropriate. Like I have lived experience with chronic pain for three years. Mm-hmm. I've had a year, what I call my year of concussion, which was a great oh, year. Wow. Um, but I also like, and I want to acknowledge to any listeners here who might have chronic pain or concussion. Like, I don't know how mine went away. Mine's currently in remission, but mm-hmm. I like, I went on and did masters and became an OT after that experience. So um, things are possible. And like I started some of it, like I started living well. Um, you might want to delete this later, but. Um, That's I, okay, go for it. Yeah, I started living well um, with chronic pain. Bef- I started like doing things and more things that my mental being improved before it went away. Like I had, I started mm-hmm. OT school with chronic pain. Um, and so it is possible to live well with chronic conditions. I don't want to say it's not, but I just, like, I don't want to promise that oh, if you do things, your chronic pain is going to go away because yeah. we don't know enough about it yet. And I think that kind of goes with trauma too. I mean, we can yeah. learn coping strategies. We can try to understand the sources of the trauma and try to um, create an environment in which we are not triggered or, you know, for you you're talking about things that relieve some of that pain. Um, mm-hmm. I think acknowledging this isn't going to go away quickly, but we can keep working in that direction and um, really enjoy the fruits of that and really just keep working together. And being, yeah, I think this whole idea of working together has really come through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I do disclose, it's usually not like a specific strategy. So I'm like, okay, like I have had this, like I've had some experience and usually people are like, oh my gosh, it gives me hope. Okay. Yes, <laughs> That's the intent of the sharing is just to kind of like build hope. Like it's okay. You can live well. Yeah. And so sometimes yes. it just depends on where the person's at, if it's appropriate or not. I really appreciate that um, you both have been so open just even about your own experiences with COVID. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I'm wondering if there's anything you could share, whether it's a resource that you have on the Beyond COVID website or something you talked about on the podcast or the blog, or just something in your own life that has really helped you to cope well with. Mm-hmm. And by well, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of well. One is like, if you coped, <laughs> yeah, right, you did it. <laughs> You made it another day and other ones are ones that you, you know, things that you have been able to do um, or reflect on that have really kind of moved you into a space of feeling well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think for me, it's really, uh, we have a couple of resources I know with blogs and we shared on social media about getting into nature and being able to spend time outdoors, which, as I mentioned, sometimes feels like a luxury right now with different, um, you know, natural disasters that are happening in different places. But being able to take time away from screens, because we've been, you know, stuck Mm -hmm. inside with Zoom and Netflix and what have you, that being able to spend time in nature 
and slow down, kind of refocus yourself either as a solo trip or maybe with that one person you're with, um, that's really been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that's something that we have a couple of resources, like I said, whether it's the lived experience or some suggestions of you know ways you might be able to find something in your area or things you might be able to do. Mm-hmm. But that that natural reset of being outside and being able to move around in that space has been very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like the vlogs have been really helpful for me. And like now that we're doing the podcast, I really like the podcast. Just mm-hmm. podcast basically came around because we're like, well, vlogs are accessible in one medium, but how can we make it accessible in another medium? Just again, looking at how we can diversify and all it's sharing for accessibility. Um, just because like they're more stories and it's mm-hmm. more just like shared experiences and um, building evidence. Um, some of them are like, this is my personal experience with COVID. And some of them are more, here's some evidence-based strategies for this thing. Um, so I find blogs really helpful. Um, that something I personally find helpful as well, like is a weekly well-being missions because they reminded me to take care of myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> um, add in something I like to say to my clients is like, what is what are your pockets of joy this week? Like, what are things that you can do to like kind of build some joy? So sometimes I give homework to my clients that is dancing. I'm like, okay, like we just found like what's something that you enjoy? Like, I'm like dancing. Okay, like how many times do you want to dance this week? Like, mm. I want to build those pockets of joy or like singing to a Stevie Wonder song. Like, yeah. <laughs> song at a session one time. Um, just kind of warm up or talking about art and find those things that really connect to what you love. Mm. again let's do what you love podcast is where the name comes from it's just like we have that space to do things that we love and do things that bring our hearts joy like how can Mm. we make those spaces for ourselves for self-care and we I'm speaking again as a privileged person I have lots of capacity to make time for that Mm -hmm. um and I want to kind of recognize that but how can we in that notion like how can we when we're in positions of privilege also um come together and break down that privilege more people have those pockets of joy I love that idea of the pockets of joy I think that's probably I think if we talk to a lot of people about this that might kind of emerge as a theme just because I think I've heard that a lot just anecdotally of people (laughs) finding these little little things that just really kind of fuel them for the next couple hours or the next couple days and we kind of need these brief little fuel points maybe more than we did before yeah totally yeah picking up art again and painting and all those things yeah so like dancing in my kitchen singing to mama mia oh that's a great soundtrack to sing to yeah (laughs) all those little things (laughs) like add those pockets of joy amazing amazing Yeah, you know, I have to say that's something that has struck me too. It's a little bit, and maybe this is just from the occupational perspective, but I think it's been some of those mundane things that Mm -hmm. I have really started to appreciate more because Mm -hmm. I do feel like I'm kind of, to be honest, hitting a bit of a wall Mm -hmm. in general. I think it's been a little bit harder to to care about some things, a little bit harder to be motivated when it doesn't feel urgent. Mm -hmm. And I think at the beginning Mm -hmm. I had a bit of that because I was so preoccupied with what does this even mean? There was a lot of fear and confusion. And then it sort of, I got into a routine that was really working for me. It was great. And then somehow, again, we've reached this point. It was about six months out that I started to feel like, yeah, we're we're hitting a wall again. Yeah. Yeah. I think I hit the wall too. Um, I was definitely like, this is when Emily became co-team lead. I was like, Emily, we are going to be experiencing burnout during this time. And I don't want 
and like we need to be able to like share things and I'm like you've been really involved I'd love for you to be co-team lead um just so that when we have times of burnout we like when again coming with burnout oftentimes we feel guilty if we're not meeting our commitments yes (laughs) it's like okay well let's share and let's come like Yes, yeah, so I'm like I'm like help, please. I'm really burnt out. <laughs> I'm so glad you acknowledged that too, because one, anybody who has some sort of online blog, podcast, <laughs> website, any kind of online presence who seems to be producing a lot of content and getting things out there, there's sometimes a perception of like, how do you do it? How mm-hmm. are you always scheduling posts and how are you always on there? I mean, I don't personally. Yeah. If you look at my Instagram, you can tell the weeks that were rough because I just didn't yeah. post for OT Uncorked. Um. Or an episode was late, you know, something like that. And it's 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 really hard when you see other people doing things so well to think, well, they're not getting burned out. Why, why should I? I feel guilty that I'm not doing it. But I love that you acknowledge that because it's so true. Yeah. And I think whether you're a content creator or you're working, you're, you're quote, normal. <laughs> you're working your job um, yeah. and you feel guilty that you're not doing it quite as well as you think you should be. Mm-hmm. I think that's just huge to acknowledge that we're all trying to get through and we're trying to move forward. And some weeks, some days you're not going to be feeling your best and um, that's okay. We don't need to feel guilt. No. Yeah. That was one of the things that I, I loved from the start when I had talked to Anne about joining the team back in, oh goodness, it might've been April. I'm not sure. Um, and we continued to have this focus on mental health with our entire team. We've seen a lot of people kind of come and go in different capacities or just the amount that they've been able to contribute. And it was always very clear that if you need to step back, then step back. Mm. You know, this is a wonderful thing that we're trying to do. But coming from, I think, that occupational therapy and occupational science just being so ingrained in us, it was very uh, important that we had that that focus that, number one, you have to take care of yourself. And if that means that you need to step back for however long, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. And whenever you're ready to come back, we'll be happy to have you. So that that has brought a lot of comfort and we've all had times. I know for me around right before and after my wedding was not very present. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was an easy thing to be able to tell everyone that I'm just kind of going to be MIA. If you really need me, you know, you can reach out. But to be able to have that authenticity Mm -hmm. and the space to know that, you know, within this, it's, it's safe to be able to acknowledge that and then to be able to come back it's huge and I think too we we really see a lot of people questioning if their job and workplace environment is the right fit for them after this I think they've seen a lot of the true colors of their companies and supervisors I know for me my supervisor has been incredibly supportive throughout this whole time always caring more about our personal health than productivity or anything else we're doing and that has just been so validating and um, just of my decision to work here and has really helped me feel supported. And just knowing that you're supported, I think, helps mm-hmm. you also do your job better. And so mm-hmm. I know I'm supported. And so I'm trying. And when I just can't do it, I just tell her, you know, I'm, I can't do this today. And she's the first one to say, take a day off, sign off of Slack, sign off of Zoom it's going to be okay. And yet I hear other people looking for new jobs because they're not getting that support. Mm -hmm. And I think that just Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, anyway, I just, I just kind of think it's, it's really interesting to see kind of how we're, how we're being supported, how we're not feeling supported. Um, And I love that your team has really acknowledged that need to 
to just value the person first and then everything else will work out from there. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, yeah, like, so for me, I was like, I'm like, we are giving, we're going to be giving a lot. And like, but it's the whole thing. It's, it's a cliche saying, but like you can't pour from an empty cup. So like right. giving, we, we need to take care of ourselves first. This is, we don't know how long it's going to be at the time. <laughs> when I first made out the chat, like mental well-being is our priority, like document. Yeah. Um, I was like, really, like, I care about your well-being. I don't want this to be an added stressor in your life. And sure. that's really come up, I think, with the pathways to well-being. Mm-hmm. I had that idea back in May. I think I was talking to one of our team members. She's like an industrial engineer. Oh. And all these like ideas of like how I want to like, shift it and make it more functional and easier for people to navigate. And <laughs> I was just had to be like, this is under construction. And I'm okay with that. Like yeah. for my well-being, it needs to be under construction. Because... Otherwise, I'm like, I was feeling overwhelmed. Emily and I were actually talking about it before we started and hopped on with you. I was like, yeah, I've been really feeling really overwhelmed for the past week's mm-hmm. well-being. We have now had a team member kind of who's I'm meeting with tomorrow who's like, oh, yeah, I'm happy to help kind of reorganize this stuff. Oh, good. Um, but, yeah, I was like, at first, I'm like, this is going to come out in June. No, July. No, August. Yeah. And I'm like, like, it'll come out when it comes out. <laughs> Well, and that whole, that cliche you said of, you know, um, you can't pour from an empty cup, cliches usually become cliche because they're true. Yeah. And I think it's great that you've been able to acknowledge where you need to set a boundary and postponing the release of something is, it's fine. It happens all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So exactly. It's just like, I'm just really wanted to promote in the team, like set healthy boundaries with this. Yeah. Make sure you have your time for self-care. Yeah. We mentioned more towards the beginning of this conversation yeah. that we kind of didn't think this would last this long. At least I didn't. Yeah. A lot of us thought, okay, we're going to be home mm-hmm. from work for a month. Whoa, that's crazy. And now we're, what, six, seven, I lost track of time, which is also something we talked about. And um, we didn't think it would last this long. And yet, clearly, there was a team that you all worked together to establish that is seeing beyond COVID, right? And I think that probably has a few different layers of meanings, but what does that mean for you now when perhaps you didn't, well, I'm, I'm curious to hear, I guess, how long you thought this would last and, and what you saw as the future of beyond COVID, um, beyond COVID. Yeah. Um, so the name actually, it was a funny discussion because when I was first on the website, I was talking to my roommate, she's an entrepreneur, like wedding photographer, has this gym. I was like, Kels, I need help coming up with a name. And I'm like, I need to basically at first I was like, I'm like, it's gonna be quite advocacy. Like I want to be advocating and say things. I'm like, if I really want to make sure I'm doing it in a way it's professional, or I'll still have my license after. I'm not like starting things yeah. up too much. I'm like, I want to have, have my license beyond COVID. She's like, and I should call it beyond COVID. Oh. <laughs> okay. okay. I was like, gonna go with it. <laughs> Just like, that's why I'm like, yep. Yeah, okay. That's my thing. Like, got it. I was like, okay, nobody's taking it so far. Sign me up. Um, that's cool. I think at the time I thought it would be about a month or something. I'm like, okay, this is a good time for us to pause. We can reflect on these things. I'll start first with focusing on mental well-being. And then as we move out of it, I'll get more advocacy. It's like, okay, we've noticed these things. Hmm. Let's, like these are some other people have barriers to doing. Like we've been experiencing some barriers to doing now with COVID. Other people experience barriers to doing that are different than ours, but how can we look at possibilities and how can we support each other and come together more? And I thought it'd be like a month and then we could have these conversations. Um, but nope, it's seven months now. And yep. so I'm like, okay, we're just going to integrate these earlier on than I was expecting and just really get the occupational justice focus. Um, 
but also acknowledging like COVID's a different barrier than other barriers, like disability mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and so yeah, it just started beyond COVID, and I'm like, whenever that is. And my remember like my roommates and stuff are like I was talking to someone because we're thinking about becoming a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to my friend who he's really involved in nonprofit world in Victoria. I'm like, okay, what's the process? Um, he's like, okay, well, it's a really long process. So you should like really be committed. Like, I don't think COVID will be, really be long enough for you to make being a uh, nonprofit worthwhile. And I'm like, okay, well, okay. Maybe I'll look at like other routes in business. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's still something that's on the table right now. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, so it was like thinking like very short term. And I was like, okay, well, maybe when COVID's done, I'll just rebrand. <laughs> and we'll just talk about advocacy and stuff and now I'm like well it's been going for a while now so mm-hmm. yeah and like I guess for me I hope that we can I like the World Federation of OT conference is in 2022 in March and I'm like okay if I can go to that I'll be really happy <laughs> like, yeah. isn't it funny yeah. how those expectations changed I mean I was wondering if we'd be able to go to AOTA and I was holding out hope for days leading up to it with, you know, the, their announcement that we'd still be able yeah. to go. <laughs> now it looks so naive. Yeah. I know. It's like, oh my God. I know we did the same for all those little things. Like we were saying with, um, I did the same for a bachelorette that was planned like mid April was like, you know, it, it might be okay. You know, we'll, we'll see. Um, and then it just kept being one, one thing after another, uh-huh. but, um, as Anna was saying, I know we've, we've all had conversations of, you know, being the OTs that most of us are, we're kind of trying to stay in the moment with it, mm-hmm. but also looking ahead and knowing that whatever plans that we might kind of envision for the future mm-hmm. likely will not be how we envision them, mm-hmm. but knowing that we still want to be able to kind of have this as a resource and be able to adapt where where it's needed to, to see what it is that people need at that time and to see if it, we're still a good fit to try yeah. to bring something to that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point of just kind of evaluating what can you bring to the table and being open to adapting and pivoting mm-hmm. the resources you provide based on what people need. And I do think this is going to be, we're going to be feeling the remnants of this for many years to come in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see that, I don't see that beyond COVID is going to be irrelevant anytime potentially at all but especially anytime soon I mean I think that this is these are conversations that are going to be happening for years to come even if a vaccine is delivered soon you know I think yeah these these conversations are going to keep going and kind of define a little bit about how we move forward mm-hmm. culturally yeah. totally what are some of the um fruits of this experience for you so have you seen um you know responses from people that have benefited from your resources mm-hmm. um yeah what do you see as sort of just the really um wonderful fruits that that show you yes this was worth doing yeah. I think one of the fruits actually like I'm glad you brought up the definition before when we were looking at the questions like I'm like it was meeting all the people like, yeah. and that was definitely one of the fruits like meeting people from around the world I am so excited for when we hopefully get to travel again so I can actually see and meet Emily in person and meet our team members in person that would be so nice Another fruit, though, was this letter that we got from a teacher. It was quite early on when they were doing library and her class had found the resource and they were using it. And they're like, can we share these extra resources with you to add to the library? Oh. And I was just like, yes, of course. I, <laughs> I love that. I'm really glad you liked it and found it helpful. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, and that was your, uh, it, it's really cool. Cause if you said that was early on and you early on said, if this helps one person and that person was a whole classroom. So, and yeah. that was only one instance of how you've helped. Oh, that's a great example. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. That. How about you, Emily, anything that kind of stands out as, as fruits of this experience for you? I think as Anna was saying, it's, it's really been being able to both personally meet other people and kind of have that moment of knowing that we're not alone and trying to contribute, but also learning so much at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I had not had the opportunity in quite a while to speak with so many different individuals, both OT and not from all over the world, kind of towards this mission. And, and that, as I said, personally, was kind of what I needed at the time, especially early on. I needed to have some sort of a purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely need those little things. Otherwise, you know, just feeling kind of useless at home. And then also knowing that there have been other people that have found the same, that mm-hmm. have read a blog or have, you know, seen a post and been like, oh, you know, it's I'm not alone. And this is something that they can kind of lean on. So just knowing that someone else found it and then told someone else, and this is how we had, you know, someone else join the team. Mm-hmm. And they told us that they'd found it because they'd read a blog and it had helped them. And then they also wanted to contribute. Oh, that's really neat to see that it's helping people and they believe in it so much they want to be part of it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's really brought on those like conversations just towards like these ideas and like, oh my gosh, okay, now other people have these ideas. Like, how can we like make these bridges and just conversations about moving forward and conversations like ideas and it's something I miss about school again I say I'm probably going to go back and do a PhD um one of my mentors has told me well make sure you get lots of like lived experience and like walk like do lots like on the ground grassroots stuff first before coming back to school and academia um but I think like for me I love research I love learning I love occupational science and to engage in those conversations again Mm -hmm. was really like valuable for me Oh, we're going to totally talk about PhD offline sometime. <laughs> we're going to regroup and then yeah. we'll, we'll have a yes. glass of wine and talk about PhD. <laughs> Perfect. Something that kind of resonated with me when we were talking about how we've been coping and what is giving us hope. Anna, you mentioned the idea of traveling, getting back to doing that. I think both Emily and Anna, you both kind of talked about just being with other people again in a way that feels safe and comfortable. You talked about those more organic conversations that come up with strangers that now feel a little bit scary, just not the conversations themselves, but that proximity to folks that we don't know. And I felt like that really ties into why I chose this wine. So just a reminder, I am drinking today Behringer, um, their main and vine kind of sub-brand, and it's a Chardonnay. Anyone who listens to the show knows that I normally review dry reds because that's what I prefer. I am trying to diversify it a little bit for um, people who enjoy wine of different types. I chose this one, which is really interesting. It's um, So Behringer has a lot of different types of wine. This is a $4.99 wine, just starting with that. So, you know, people who, who are like me and like a good deal can perk up. I had always seen their wine on the shelf, and I had had some previously many years ago, and I really didn't like it, to be honest. Um, Did not really like it. It was definitely $4 wine, Um, (laughs) and I really just did not enjoy it. So then right before COVID, actually um, a few days within the week that, you know, that everything shut down here for us, within a few days of that, I was actually in Napa Valley 
with some friends who are visiting from St. Louis, actually. Um, and we were up in Napa and we read that Behringer Vineyards was actually a lovely place to visit while you're in Napa. And so I said, you know, even though I don't like their wine, I'll still go. It'll be fun. So we brought some cheese. We sat on their patio, ordered a glass of wine. It was fabulous. It turns out they have kind of different tiers of wine, as I think a lot of these larger wine production um, companies do. And I had a glass of wine that was wonderful there. And But more than that, it was time spent with friends that we don't see that often because they live out of town. We got to just spend three days with them, just living into that friendship and just investing time in each other. And it was just perfect. I think anything could have gone wrong that week and it would have been a perfect week. We loved that time just connecting with our friends. It's been so valuable to reflect back on and enjoy. And so when I saw this wine in the store the other day, I said, you know, even though I've had their kind of like cheap tier before and I didn't like it, I now just have this connection with Behringer. That was the last in-person kind of deep social connection I had with someone who wasn't a neighbor and we were social distancing um, since before COVID. And so now this has like a special place in my heart and it gives me hope that we're going to be able to go back to doing these things with friends and connecting again. Um, And so I chose this wine and I have to say, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. This is Chardonnay, which oftentimes I think they're a little bit too sweet for me. Um, and kind of overpowering flavor. This one has a very subtle flavor. It's very kind of easy to drink. And there's some kind of notes on sort of the back end of it and some like good flavor that comes through. I think it was steel aged, but with these wines, they frequently don't tell you much about it on the back. So it's a total guess that it's, um, that it was aged in a steel, steel barrel. Um, and it's on the drier side. So actually if you're looking for a $5 or $4 wine, this is a good one. I will recommend it. Um, it's a great value. And again, just thinking back to that time with friends was so, um, exciting for me. And when, when I was actually, um, having a glass of it before, um, my husband had a glass with me and he said, you know, this is like our friends that we went to Behringer with. It's just light and easy to just sit down with them and just enjoy time together. And this wine is light and easy to drink. So I thought I'd include that too. (laughs) So I think Anna, you, um, do you have a wine you, you were drinking that you want to share with us? Yeah. So, um, mine's from a BC winery. So it's Mm -hmm. from Michigan. Um, it's a rosé and Mission Hill is one of our bigger um, vineyards in BC the Okanagan region is really big like it's the Okanagan region um, actually on the island we have a few like the Cowichan Valley and Brentwood Bay where I grew up they have quite a few vineyards on the peninsula um, but the rosé is just a really nice sweet I know way a wine closer as much as you are but it was oh, I'm really yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> it was very sweet and just like light um and I shared it with my roommates because I don't tend to drink a lot. So if sure. I was telling Emily before, and we're like, okay, wines. I'm like, I'll have a glass. And then if I don't drink it, it's going to go bad. So I was like, yep. I have to share it with friends. Well, wine so, is always better shared with friends, I think. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm really lucky. I live with four other people. With three other people. I just have four <laughs> other people to start the pandemic. So I was like, okay, oh. I can I have three other people to share it with. This is That's great. That's lovely. Yeah. Really? Finding a good rosé in my, in my view is kind of hard to do. So I'm excited that you found one you like. If you ever come to BC, got some Mission Hill one. All right. That'll be a post-COVID, beyond-COVID trip. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Emily? Are you having anything? Yes. So um, mine kind of similarly reminds me of a time of being with people and just a time that's really dear to my heart. So it's a type of multipulciano. So I was lucky enough in my college career to spend a semester abroad. Um, And so I spent some time in Rome, Italy. And 
that was one of those things that that's actually where I started to enjoy wine. Uh, so I fell in love with the dry reds as well. So I very much understand that. Uh, it was just one of those things where most of the time we would get a house wine and it was wonderful. But this wine just has so many good earthy tastes and it just brings me back to that time of being with friends and traveling and being able to kind of be carefree. So it's, it, it brings all of that kind of together. I love how flavors and smells and um, even for me, wine labels and these, these sensory experiences just mm-hmm. tie so closely to memory. Yeah. Um, context matters. Perspective, <laughs> yeah. like the context influences our experiences. <laughs> it does. So I love that all of these kind of relate to these, this yearning for um, some of the, some of the things the way they were, and also just moving forward and looking ahead and, and yearning for what that's going to look like and a time we get to connect and belong. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes. <laughs> so last question I ask before we end every episode is. For book recommendations. So I'd love to hear something you've read, whether related to OT or this conversation, or just something you're really enjoying lately, um, or an old favorite, something that you might share with us to add to our own book list. Yeah, I actually have two recent ones to share. So I realized during, especially this COVID time, when I finally got back to having a little bit more time to be able to read, mm-hmm. that I really had the desire to read some some heavier things, mm-hmm. some things that were going to inform me. Mm-hmm. But then I also needed something a little bit lighter that would just let me kind of escape and also inspire me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So a book, which I'm honestly still working to finish, is The New Jim Crow oh. uh, by Michelle Alexander. I've heard that. So that has been, yes, very important to me, as you were mentioning earlier, that uh, especially for those of us that have been privileged enough not to have to think about it all the time mm-hmm. to for myself and learn more of the history of racism in America and mm-hmm. where this has come from and to be able to understand it that way we can better work to get rid of it <laughs> better work to find ways to make the world better mm-hmm. so that has been my my book that has taken some more time some more effort um, and then my kind of fun book lately is called Becoming a Better Grown-Up. What? And Brad Montague. I need that. Brad Montague is a wonderful human being. I highly recommend following him on whatever platform you're on. Instagram is good. He um, was the founder behind the Kid President with him and his nephew. And so it's, it's a really wonderful, uplifting read that also inspired me to try to become a better grown-up myself mm-hmm. That's that so is cool. wonderful oh I want to check that out <laughs> I'm always looking for advice <laughs> yes I recommend it's, it's a very easy read but like I said it's it's it left me with lots of things to think about in the best way hmm. fantastic Anna how about you um so I'm also going to recommend two books both of mine are a bit more intellectual or like learning books um so the first one is disability visibility um first person stories from the 21st century edited by alice wong um she's a disability rights activist in san francisco so this is basically a collection of stories of lived experiences that disabled people have had most of the authors i believe are american um but it's really yeah lots of learning when reading this book and i think um as we try to learn, like, from trauma, I'm kind of going back to that, but, like, from trauma, like, 
learn, not necessarily asking all our friends to tell us their stories or tell them like us their experiences, but seeking out those learning. So this was a really good book for me to read. Um, then another one is actually an audio book and kind of similar to Emily's book. Um, in Canada, we have a lot of indigenous racism. Um, so this book was From the Ashes by Jesse Thistle. And it was about his lived experience, like an autobiography from when he was a child and his experiences with systems and going through homelessness, then getting a degree and venue scholar. And um, just like his experience, like what he went through and how the systems were and how they affected his life. And it was really, it took some time for me to read. I work in therapy with people with trauma. So I did have, it was, it's a slow read and I'm still not quite done. Um that is very valuable and I think really informative and I definitely recommend at least all Canadians and Americans like and just people in America too so it, it, I think it's we our nations have kind of interacted differently mm-hmm. and the passion has been different but I still think it's a valuable read thank you for sharing those those all sound like really great options and I do want to put in a little plug here I had co-host the OT it's called the OT book club and yeah. we are always looking for book recommendations that we can feature and study. So if anyone who's listening is interested in joining the OT book club, it's on, you can find us on Instagram and we'll just post whenever we're voting on a new book to, to read or um, when we're going to be meeting on zoom, it's open to anyone who is interested truly. And so we'll, you know, the book about a month in advance. <laughs> I might join. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I would love that. Um, so yeah, you can always look for the most updated book that we're going to be reading and the dates that we're going to be having our zoom call on on Instagram just a little plug for that since I know we have a lot of um, book lovers who listen well I really appreciate both of you and your time what you're doing with beyond COVID you have shared so much with us today and I love our discussion about how we as people who view occupation um, in the world and and we really see well I should say we really see the world through an occupational lens in many ways um, how that mindset is really valuable right now and what we can be doing to help kind of channel that experience and knowledge and mobilize it and then hear from other people what their experience is and just kind of keep partnering and developing community during a time when so many people are feeling isolated Mm -hmm. Um, we just we have such an important role in bringing that connectivity and belonging so thank you so much yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of OT Uncorked. Occupational disruption is real and it's complicated. I hope that during this time you have been able to find new ways to adapt and experience wellness. I invite you to find us on social media or send us an email sharing what you've been doing to stay well during these times or just reach out to say hi. Social connection is huge right now and I'd love to connect with you. My contact information is in the show notes. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to OT Uncorked. It's always fun to sit down with you and uncork OT with a glass of wine. Cheers! Cheers!